0: This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfcc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Uh, well, good morning, uh, everyone. So nice to join uh, you. In, uh, uh, I'm further south from you in Los Angeles, but uh, very nice to join you uh, by this uh, method. Uh, I believe I last time I visited San Francisco Zen Center was uh, when uh, the book American Sutra first came out in 2019, uh, what uh, Koto mentioned. And so uh, I'm glad to join you now and uh, see some old uh, friends uh, uh, on the on the video. And uh, well, I'd like to Uh, today give some kind of uh, uh, talk dharma talk or dharma message that uh, uh, well relates to some things that uh, i'm working on around a a buddhist monument uh, right now and uh, usually you know sometimes i give uh, i get the guidance of like everyone is right now studying like a couple weeks ago uh, green gulch asked me to see and they were like everybody's studying sandokai so you should say something so i did something like that but Samsung gave me a lot of freedom with, uh, to say whatever <laughs> I want. So today, if you don't mind, I'm going to share with you some things that are on my mind and alive for me in my uh, thinking and practice of Buddhism. And uh, it's, it's, it has to, it's something to do with uh, building this monument. And I want to use that as a way to um, reflect on uh, ancestors reflect on uh, uh, these say we've been calling it karma of a nation, but like uh, the kind of racial history of, of uh, United States of America and then thinking about how to repair some of the hurt and uh, uh, damages of, of, uh, of you know racialized uh, violence and so forth and exclusions and, and that kind of thing. So, I want to uh, share with you, if it's okay, a slide uh, uh, PowerPoint, and then from there, uh, 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 be able to, to talk you through this uh, up until, I think, 11 a.m. So, uh, I don't know if, you know, I, I think some of you I, I have, I've seen uh, come to my temple in, in L.A., uh, in little Tokyo, uh, a zenshuji temple so it's a mission and and uh uh so some of you i think will know the person in this photograph uh reverend uh, uh kenko yamashita uh, he was a former uh i believe he was a eighth uh, No, i'm sorry tenth uh abbot of our temple and uh, uh next year we're celebrating centennial so 100 years and then uh he was a tenth one, abbot, and an eighth kakyo uh, Sokan, uh, 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 so the bishop of North America Soto Zen Buddhism, and so he served. Uh, some of the maybe older members of your temple will know uh, him, and and he served as uh, Shuji and uh, served as bishop uh, uh, late 1960s into the late 1980s, uh, which is I was a college student at that time, and I got to know him. Uh, uh, maybe two years before I became ordained, but I I want to start with him because of our connection as Soto and Buddhist people, and, and uh, we have a little bit different, of course, uh, lineage of people, but we are like cousins, so I wanted to mention, you know, uh, uh, Reverend Yamashita, and um, uh, uh, how should we say, he, there's a little text in the Top there, it's hard to read in Japanese, but uh, but it's basically uh, his memoir. And when I first met him, I asked him a little bit about his history with the temple and also with the Japanese American community, since uh, Zenshuji is a historic, you know, Japanese American temple in uh, Little Tokyo. And and he mentioned something about the fact that during World War II, uh, he, like many other members of the community. Uh, was put in some kind of uh, uh, internment camp and that uh, uh, the temple suffered during that time and the many families were separated. And, and he makes a slight mention of this in the memoir, but it's a memoir called Donguri Korokoro. It just means like a, like a chestnut that is rolling down the hill kind of thing. And so he had a very kind of flippant way of talking about Oh, it wasn't such a bad thing, but you know, some members we, we experienced some hardships and so forth. And over the time, I came to learn that uh, when he was a young man like this, this is nineteen uh, photograph of him in like nineteen thirty nine or something like that. Uh, he uh, he, uh, so, you know, was at the Zenshu Temple and also taught at the Riverside Japanese Language School. Uh, at that time, it's very common for our temples to also, because the first generation people couldn't speak much English, to have these language schools so that, you know, the American-born children could could, could speak to, to their parents. So he was an instructor in Japanese language and culture, as well as Buddhism. And uh, uh, this is him with his wife cross, you know, on the Maru boat coming to the United States. And then the other photo is of him inside uh, the Santa Fe, uh, internment camp in New Mexico and uh, he over time told us a story about his time during the war where his wife uh, was uh, they was pregnant and, we, and they already had two small children and then uh, the but one baby on the way when Pearl Harbor happened and that uh, right after Pearl Harbor a few weeks later the FBI came to arrest both him and also his wife, because she was also teaching at the language school and uh, Buddhist priests and Japanese language school teachers were seen at that time in the United States by the government as a, like a threat to national security. And so the FBI came to arrest him. They had arrest warrants for both him and his wife. And uh, when, thankfully, the FBI agent in charge of the arrest had the warrant. But then he saw the two kids, and he felt bad that if he took both the mom and the dad, the two children would would have no parents. And then also she was pregnant, so he ripped up his wife's the wife's uh, warrant of arrest and um, uh, took Reverend Yamashita just by himself. And if you come to issue today, or you know our temple. And have had you know tea ceremony there. You know that the head of the tea club at the temple is Hiromi Yamashita, the daughter, the one that was in the you know pregnant uh, uh, at the time of the Pearl Harbor. Uh, she was born in one of the camps, uh, and she's now the head of our our, our tea club. But uh, this is a type of temple, uh, you know, that I'm affiliated with. So I try to learn about our history and. Who came before us, all of our ancestors, and who is in our lineage. And so I wanted to share that little anecdote with you about, uh, uh, you know, we're like our cousin temples. So, like inside of our Soto Zen lineage, we have this kind of uh, interesting uh, type of history uh, that is related to how in the United States, uh, sometimes uh, race as well as religion can be the ways in which uh, uh, some people are included or excluded or made, uh, you know, normal, regular citizens or a kind of like second class citizens or ex- and so forth. And so I wanted to just introduce that as a way to say the current, you know, this is the, the current abbot of, of, uh, our temple, uh, Kojima Sensei, I think many of you know, uh, he drew this uh, picture about my book about what happened during back back then in World War II. It's it's a book called American Sutra about Buddhism and uh, both how Buddhism and being Asian American at that time was seen as uh, problematic in America and as grounds for arresting people, putting them in uh, different camps, but also how Buddhism was a kind of, you know, uh repository a refuge uh, for for from the teachings and for practices and from sangha community to how to how to endure persevere in uh in that moment when you lose your freedom or your life is disrupted and so um uh i'm just going to reference briefly this uh historical moment about the different camps that people went to reverend yamashita went to a whole bunch of them, the one in Santa Fe in New Mexico. And eventually he reunites with his family in a place called Crystal City in, uh, in Texas, where it was called the Crystal City Family Reunification Camp. But it was one of the places that uh, these you know families that have been separated were able to come together. Still behind barbed wire with armed guards, but at least they're together again. And so uh, I wanted to um, just say a quick word about why uh, uh, people, our temple, you know, and other temples vandalized during World War II, uh, why people were, uh, uh, you know, picked up and why temples had been under surveillance. I just wanted to mention that, you know, the very first person right after Pearl Harbor, even before the smoke had cleared, you know, after the attack on December uh, 7th, 1941, uh, the first person picked up was a uh, you know Humpahonganji Buddhist priest, head of the main Hawaii uh temple in Honolulu. and the second person picked up was Taiheiji, uh, Soto Zen Temple Buddhist priest. and here you see Reverend Asaidai uh, getting picked up uh, from the uh, Shingonji mission in, in Liliha Street in, in Honolulu. And so how should we say somehow Buddhist priests... Uh, we, we were considered somehow danger to the nation. And we were on these lists. Uh, for example, Reverend Miyamoto, you can see his uh, FBI case file uh, uh, form where he's uh, clearly marked as uh, being picked up on December 8th. And then he's in group A, individuals believed to be most dangerous, who in all probability should be interned in the event of war. The, the Buddhist priest as a category of person was deemed a, just a, like a threat To national security and uh arrest this is his arrest warrant and and it's getting picked up but uh uh where does this come from and uh so i want to move into this idea that uh you know recently we've had uh, at our neighbor temple uh higashongan's temple also a little tokyo kind of vandalism and uh we have been hearing about the kind of anti-asian animus, and violence, and vandalism, things like this happening over the last year and some. Uh, But this is not new. And I just wanted to make a note that the Buddhist people, uh, from the very beginning of American Buddhism, uh, before the Japanese people, were Chinese people. And they formed the first temples and communities, sanghas around the country. And uh, uh, they were also seen as a threat. because you're in San Francisco, I think you'll find it kind of amusing. But like, for example, this pamphlet from 1873 uh, talking about uh, the fear of establishment of a heathen Chinese despotism in San Francisco uh, and warnings about a Chinese invasion. There are so many migrants coming and the need in Harper's Weekly uh, in this illustration to build a Chinese wall symbolically on the Pacific to keep a certain people out Because of their, not just racial difference, but the fact that they're heathen or not Christian. So the assumption that I think Buddhist people uh, have have tried to, and including Reverend Yamashita, was trying to handle in his times was, and I feel like it may be even an enduring problem today, is that there is a generalized notion of America as a white Christian nation, uh, one that the norm or the uh, standard is uh, one of being white and being, and being Christian is normal, and that if you are neither religiously or racially, that somehow uh, you're un-American, if not anti-American. In this uh, set of images, I think you can see what I'm trying to get at, that conflation of race and religion that has long been a part of our nation's thinking about how we understand belonging, citizenship, and so forth. Here, you know, on the right it is literally, the term was the yellow peril, this kind of mass of Asians coming over. And here it's symbolized, right, by the by the Buddha appearing in those dark ominous clouds approaching a land of illumination, a land illuminated by the Christian cross. And this idea of a threat Uh, that is coming from the yellow peoples or the Asian peoples. And then during World War II itself, that same, you know, thematic in another different popular magazine, um, you can see this, you know, militarized tank with the Buddha on top of it and a samurai figure in the back, that kind of idea of the Japanese and Buddhism and and kind of military attack, uh, all kind of coming together. And I think when I talk to my Muslim American friends, uh, especially post 9-11, they also get conflated that way of like somehow their religion is somehow linked to some kind of threat to national security. And it's all kind of lumped together in these kind of large groupings of, of masses of people that are somehow very dangerous. And so I wanted to offer a different vision or different way to think about America that is one about multiplicity that is about hybridity Uh, so multiplicity instead of singularity or and hybridity instead of purity because usually the reason why and by the way it's not just you know united states but buddhists engage in this kind of thing too sometimes i think we all know about the case of myanmar and how you know there are political parties there uh, literally titled the party for the protection of race and religion meaning the burmese people and their buddhism against the rohingya people who are muslim and somehow the idea of like some kind of need to protect some monolithic singular not only race but also peoples in this kind of supremacy you know you can find it in modis international it's not it's not limited to the united states so But in the United States, there have always been some voices of people who've had an alternate view of what is America and what America aspires to be. And so when the Chinese were being excluded, and of course, you may all know that in 1881, there was the first federal immigration law that says some people shouldn't be here because of their race and their religion. The the, the slur word used was the heathen Chinese, this kind of un- unreligiously unacceptable and racially unassimilable group to which somebody like Frederick Douglass in his famous 1869 speech in Boston, sometimes called the composite nation speech, gives a very strong articulation of and vision of a nation that is composed, is has has a kind of, kind of composite nature, or hybrid nature, that one, one that is uh, 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 multiple, multiple. Uh, uh, in its makeup of race, ethnicity, creed. And it's a different vision of America. One, that is multi-ethnic in nature. And to you know, religiously plural. Uh, in fact, being inspired by religious, you know, freedom uh, requires plurality as opposed to singularity. And so, Douglas made a really important uh, 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 case for inclusion of Asian Americans, he also made a point about immigration to America uh, that had to do with himself as a formerly enslaved person, He, you know, he came known as a great orator and, and thinker but of course he had his own life as an enslaved person and, and great abolitionist he, he, he gave a vision uh, that uh, uh, I, th- I think is, to me, a, like a Buddhist vision. And it's kind of reflected in, you know, Reverend uh, Imamura Emio's uh, comments about the hybrid, hy- hybrid and mixed race. Like, you know, today, Japanese-Americans uh, are about 50%, 1.3 million Japanese-Americans, about 50% are multiracial. Black and Japanese, Latino-Japanese, Latino, the, the, white and lots of different mix, mixture of people. And that orientation towards hybridity, mixture, uh and and not about some kind of purity and protection of it uh because i think we buddhists recognize uh the interlinked nature of reality we recognize the dynamic impermanence and change of, of 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 people of artificial categories like race so i think there's a way to talk about america that is not uh about exclusion and about purity and about uh, um uh, but 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 one about america as a nation of becoming a nation of 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 uh, uh plurality and 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 composed of people of different uh uh backgrounds and so what i want to do today is talk a little bit about what i'm trying to do recently to to think about issues about buddhist Approaches to race relations, to reparations, to uh, remembrance about America's racial history, uh, and uh, this particular project I'm doing about names and about building a names monument for people like Reverend uh, Kenko Yamashita and his wife, and even uh, his daughter is still, you know, she was born in camp, but she's still alive. I'm making a monument to uh, all all of the people who experienced. Um, incarceration back in World War II as a kind of Buddhist, just one, like a Buddhist project for remembrance and reparation. So before I talk about that in particular, I want to kind of zone out for a second and talk about kind of ways that we, you know, what are the tools we have and the ways to see things analytically from a Buddhist perspective when it comes to trying to reflect on and reckon with America's racial past and where we are in the present and I think because you know you're you're at such a, you, you, this is not uh, news but uh, we have you know two major you know lines of thinking in Buddhism uh, one represented by Majamaka and uh, kind of deconstruction into emptiness and the other represented uh, by yogacara and you uh, 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 mind-only and, 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 and the kind of uh, idea of, of uh, being able to imagine uh, worlds. And so, we, we, on the one hand, you know, every day we, we, we chant, to, whether in Japanese or I guess in the English way, you may also chant this, uh, uh, no eyes or ears, no t- all of the, the no's in our tradition. Uh, the 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 negation and the and the deconstruction of things we imagine to be real or solid or permanent or we we deconstruct it. So that's the you know from Nagarjuna on very important line of thinking in our lineage. Uh, and then we also have as you as you can see uh, here in the uh, quotation from. Uh, uh, Pratipana, somebody that, 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 that we ha- also have a lineage of thinking that because it's empty, our world is uh, playful, and we can imagine things. And in fact, imagination is a creativity is a kind of a major way to also get past our karmic, you know things we inherit as uh, stuck things, stereotypes and uh, artificial notions of things that uh, sometimes uh, having a, some creative or imaginative way is uh, also a very important way to, to freedom. So we have two styles of, of, of analysis. And, and, and so what I wanna to do today is kind of maybe lean, uh, well, talk a little bit about these two things as, as, and then lean into one uh, a little bit more. So on the emptiness side, this is something and this is how I'm going to eventually I'm going to connect it to why ancestors and whatnot. What but in our own lineage, you know, in Soto Shu lineage, we have idea of emptiness or in empty circle as the circle before, you know, Ananda. that we chant all these names in our lineage and that, uh, and that uh, we understand ourselves to be. In some kind of uh, line of transmission and line of teaching and line of uh, 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 that, that that is uh, that is uh, ultimately also linked to to uh, to uh, the empty circle, and so uh, you know we 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 have many many how should we say teachings and images from. Our history and our lineage, uh, very, of course, famously beyond Ketchumiko is, is uh, uh, the Ten Oxherding uh, pictures, and we see the and so there, and very important, you know, kind of uh, uh, commentary about uh, about the um, uh, how ultimately uh, uh, we we join the ancestors when we when we. Uh, uh uh understand this aspect of of uh, uh, of ourselves and 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 then but that that but that uh, also we are also uh, uh, just as we are and uh, we are also uh, as we come in in our particular karmic uh, uh, you know formations and so uh, I've been trying to think out of all of that how to think about, reparations, racial reparations, how to deal with, when I say all of that we hold, I mean like, uh, so you know, we have a book club that I've been running with another professor in African-American studies and so forth, but then uh, he, this is a, the, what I wanted to try to link it back to lineage and ancestors and uh, why we sh- should care about the karmic you know, imprints that we receive from those who have come uh, before, and and this is a photo. Well, one is about this uh, in little Tokyo. A group of Buddhist people got together uh, uh, in the in the period when when uh, we were uh, how should we say uh, linking what Asian American people and also uh, uh, other buddhist people in general can can say and do regarding the uh, issue of of police violence and uh, uh, black lives that 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 uh, that discussion and i you can see on the left hand side i've got a, a certificate in my hand it's a naturalization certificate and it was actually in the midst of all of the protests that was going on uh on of all days, uh, just a kind of go or karmic, uh, I don't know, mysterious karmic causes and conditions. But uh, on Juneteenth uh, of, of, of 2020, I became a US citizen. And, uh, you know, that day is really about the history of delay, right? That news about the abolition of slavery gets to Tex- that part of Texas a little bit late. And there's always this kind of story about America aspires to certain ideals, but it's late in getting there uh, and the. Or it takes time and 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 and. and um, uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot about about. Citizenship, especially, you know, because I'm a new citizen and. Uh, is. Uh, these uh, comments I sometimes get from inside, you know, immigrant groups and communities like, hey, Duncan, I know you're talking a lot about America's racial past, but we weren't, you know, our ancestors weren't involved with that. We weren't enslaved people. We weren't slave owners. We weren't. this. So why should we care about those type of issues? We have enough problems as, you know. So so, so I've been thinking about that a lot. Why should everybody these days still care about the legacy of uh, racism, how it's embedded and structured into even, you know, they had these enduring qualities that kind of pop up again and again, even in our current times, why should we care about all of this? And uh, it's a big coin, you know, it's a a good question. And so I've been talking a lot with uh, Larry Ward, one one of the teachers in the uh, Tignahan Plum Village uh, lineage, We've been doing a lot of meetings and uh, thinking through. He wrote a very, very nice book. I'm going to recommend to everybody if you haven't read it. It's called America's Racial Karma. Um, but the the term, the karma of a nation, it originally I I learned about it some you know many years ago when I was doing research for American Sutra uh, about a, a term, this term that was raised by Reverend uh, Kyoshiro Tokunaga of San Jose Buddhist Temple, Jodo Shinshu Temple, and Bay Area and uh, he uh, like Reverend Yamashita was taken right by the FBI uh, to one of these internment camps and he was very ill on the train ride and one of the uh, African-American train porters kind of nursed him back to health and also during that time talk they had had a chance to talk about you know what was happening and reflecting on different communities you know, experience of of, uh, racial discrimination and so forth. And uh, after the war, he went to the same camp as uh, Reverend Yamashita in Texas. And at that time, they had, I guess, trains were like segregated into black and white, and he didn't know which section to go to. But because of his conversation with black poor, he went to the black section. And uh, after the war, he would talk a lot uh, about this idea of, that it's not just individuals, but that nations have a karma, and that we inherit that. Uh, And so when I think about things as a newer citizen, I talk to different people about what have they inherited in their minds and in their bodies, both the positive things as well as negative things that we inherit from those who've come before us, our ancestors. Uh, What can we do to, to take all of those ingredients and in, you know, Dogan Senzo Kyokun way, cook it into something worthy. And so, when, uh, you know, as you know, I mentioned earlier, we had a vandalism at our own temple, uh, you know, neighborhood temple. And uh, in Orange County, a few miles south from us, uh, six different temples were vandalized. And what do you call it? Graffiti was put on the statuaries outside. Some people put Jesus on the back of the, uh, one of the statues. Um, you know, people like in your neighborhood in San Francisco, you, pe- many people saw that security camera footage from earlier in the year uh, about the uh, out Chao, and the being a kind of attacked senselessly, Thai community coming, you know, Buddhist community coming around to help the family and and the Atlanta shoot. There's so many things that have been happening. And I realized that one of the things that uh, we often face in these things is because asian people or black people like somehow is seen as some kind of amorphous group remember those like that that wall like these heathens that are coming like it's just it's like nobody can attend to people carefully as a jewel in the jewel net but it's just this murky you know so it's not as particulars but and so there's a whole history at, at least with Japanese Americans and Asian American, you know, of like during the camp days, you just a number, you get a tag with a number on it. Uh, the other things are called bongo. these, you know, the first Japanese that came to America and settled in Hawaiian Islands, they work on the sugar plantation. N- nobody cared about their names. They just you know, there just was a number, 405, 7369, like that. And so I started thinking these days, you know about uh, say their name, like a lot of importance about the names uh, in one of the most important books on black reparations uh, by um, uh, a Christian Mullen and and William Darity um, from Duke, uh, from Here to Equality. They they put the uh, photograph of the names of those who experienced racial terrorism uh, in the American South in the form of uh, lynching, and this is so- so-called national, you know, formerly the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, but informally and more commonly known as the lynching memorial in, 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 uh, in Alabama, uh, where, you know, the names from each of these different counties uh, in the American South where lynching happened there, they did the research to find out the names and honor the uh, individuals you know not just a mass of people individuals who experience uh this kind of thing and this is the kind of way of doing you know there's reparations in the kind of like christian sense there's reparations in the kind of fiscal sense uh, uh but i think there's something a little bit different about this kind of reparations about remembrance and honoring and ancestors uh, so when i say christian sense i, I mean like Originally, the word reparation comes from the, you know, the Catholic tradition. Uh, reparations for the Mass of Christ, you know, in the, in the French uh, uh, late medieval period, there are lots of these things to atone for original sin, the idea of that. And, you know, Martin Luther King often referred to that kind of idea of a slavery as America's original sin, uh, the need for uh, recompense. Fiscally, you know, forty meals and eh, acres and meal, but that that check it bounced. So there's many things that refer back to that kind of idea, but I think there's a different way that we can, as Buddhist people, understand reparations and racial repair work that is not Christian based or isn't based on some kind of idea of this is the originary. Because I'm always like, but well, wait a second genocide of native American, you know that's earlier than say uh, you know translating slave trade like it's it's not like what well, there's one only one singular thing it's a bunch of interlinked histories uh that constitute uh america's racial past and we need to think in multiplicity and not as some kind of singular origin as in you know i think a more christian way of thinking and so I've been thinking about names in terms of you know, Buddhist practice of Nenbutsu. Uh, of course, in Sotoshu, we don't uh, chant in quite the same way uh, as uh, my colleagues in Jodo Shu or Jodo Shin Shu or whatever, but uh, you know, in their lineage, so important. Uh, and we do it too, uh, where uh, we chant the names of the Buddhas. We also chant every morning the names of all the ancestors in our lineage. And, uh, you know, originally, Buddha Anusmirti, the idea of Anusmirti, the, 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 originally, Nen meant to, to visualize, to make appear by your imagination, the Buddha, who is no longer there. Because the Buddha, you know, was there, and then left teachings, but died. And so, We sometimes take refuge in the teaching, you know, Dharma, but we also try to recall and say the name of the Buddha to you know make the Buddha alive today. And so it's a Buddha of our past, but it's also our own Buddha. We come to come to actualize it uh when we when we when we utter things. Uh so this is the power, you know, in also our Sotoshu tradition. So we have very strong influence from from, uh, uh, Mantra, Mantra, Mantrayana and, 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 and Sutte Buddhist lineage tradition of utterance as a way to make something absent real, manifest, actualize. So that's why uh, some of you from San Francisco also join me. You know when we went to do some protests some years ago now, uh, when the former. Japanese-American internment camp was going to be used for uh, Central American migrant children. Uh, uh, More recently, Fort Bliss in Texas, and earlier this was Fort Sill in Oklahoma. Uh, We went to say the names of the people who uh, passed away back in World War II in that camp, shot by guards, and that kind of thing, and worried about children and others who've lost their lives in uh, Border Patrol and ICE detention facilities today, because these exclusions around religion when it comes to you know, travel bans around Muslims or, or race when it comes to the same kind of fears of migrant caravans invading America on the American you know, Southern border. This is kind of history repeating itself. And so we have held many ceremonies. This is at, uh, uh, in little Tokyo ceremony where we did ceremonies for, for uh, different uh, groups of people individuals who we named uh, after we chant our sutras, we dedicate uh, the merit, any, any positive merit to, to the people uh, and have their names uh, uh, be highlighted. And so this gets me to what I'm trying to build, uh, some kind of monument uh, of all the people like Reverend Yamashita who back in World War II experienced incarceration. This is a picture of Reverend uh, Shinjo Nagatomi, he's the pr- father of my uh, mentor and teacher in Buddhist studies at Harvard University when I was a graduate student. Uh, uh, he, w- His father, I started that pro- American Sutras Project because I found this man's World War II diaries from Manzanar in my professor's uh, office uh, after my professor suddenly passed away. And I translated for the family and that became this almost like 17 year process of trying to write that book to honor a Reverend Nagatomi. He was at the time, one of the only Buddhist priests in this camp called Manzanar in California. And uh, he was performing so many funerals and memorial services because those barracks were very hastily built and poorly constructed and so many babies and elderly people passing away that first winter into spring and for Obon period which I think you know all of you know in summertime we have a major ritual for ancestors and uh, remembering especially we call it Nibon the first Obon of people who've passed away that p- previous year he wanted to build a monument and it's called the ireto uh, To means tower, I means uh, to console and Re means the spirits the spirits you know of the recently deceased as well as the ancestors. And uh, he wanted to build this and the Young Buddhist Association uh, kind of built it out of concrete uh, and he dedicated uh, on Obon of 1943, this monument. And so in honor of this monument, which still stands in the California desert uh, in the cemetery section of that camp, one of the only things that survived from the period um, in kind of inspired by that, I'm trying to build a physical installation, true, but also a book of names, uh, just like we have. You know, I, I don't know if at Zen Center you have the same thing, but most uh, temples uh, in Lotoya, we, we have our Kakocho on the right hand side of the altar. It's the book of names of the temple members who you know we we do like a monthly memorial service we read after the sutras we all the names of the people for example who passed away in november we read all the names from founding of the temple to now and 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 so we have a tradition of putting names in books as a kind of sacred act of remembrance and by uttering their names we kind of recall them back uh, into the present moment and so i wanted to build a website an actual physical monument uh, where we project the names and so on and so forth. Uh, I won't go into so much detail, and I, and I want to make sure I ha- leave time for questions. So I'll stop talking, I, I promise. But uh, 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 during World War II, these, this, the one in Manzanar is on the right from more present times, and then the rower uh, one built by Reverend uh, Hayashima Daitets, uh, uh another Buddhist priest in uh, the uh, Arkansas uh, uh, Cemetery. Of the camps uh, there, uh, these type of uh, structures. I'm, I'm using it to kind of help uh, design a new monument uh, where uh, we will kind of uh, using light projection over a one hour period show the names of 125,000 approximately uh, individuals uh, to uh, to to kind of recall this history and. We are going to make it in a ceramic form uh, and uh, build it like the Ireto of Manzanar, but with cracks built into the ceramic to recall a way of thinking about repair work that is from a very long Buddhist and Japanese cultural kind of uh, heritage. And so I think many of you know, you know, in the pottery world or uh, ceramics world, uh, that uh, we have a repair tradition called kintsugi. Uh, tsugi comes from the verb tsugu, uh, to join, uh, or in this case, rejoin. Um, and then kim means gold. But it's the practice of when you know if you have a tea ceremony cup that you break or uh, favorite plate or anything it doesn't have but it's something that you it seems wrong to throw away we try to repair it and we use the lacquer to do the rejoining and then on top of the rejoined cracks put the put the line it with gold and to me this is a metaphor for a Buddhist way of thinking about reparations because it's it's a way of saying reparations must start with, with a reckoning with, you know, hurt and breakage and fissures and 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 that we're not going to hide away or look away from it. But in fact, we're going to fix it, repair it, heal it, and enhance it with gold. Gold, you know, of course, in the fiscal sense of Fiduciary type of reparations, but gold in the sense of it's not something we shy away from, but we we highlight and enhance. And so, you know, Dogen Zenji uh, Shisho, uh, you know, one of the chapter fascicles uh, we I think may have, have have studied, uh, he has uh, important uh, uh, comment about uh, his own understanding of of um, what we receive from ancestors. And uh, he's, in this uh, quote, he's talking about meeting, you know, one of his teachers in in China and um, being shown a particular kind of uh, transmission document uh, that says the first ancestor, Mahakashapa, was awakened by Shakyamuni Buddha. Shakyamuni Buddha was awakened by uh, Kashapa Buddha. And then he, he, he says this is something really moving for him to understand what is the authentic way of transmission and what is the way uh, uh, that the Buddha ancestors come to help a, a descendant. And uh, it kind of raises the question of who is doing the teaching and who is doing the receiving and who is, do, and how should we say, you know, we do rec- recitation of names at memorial services, or we make, we make these uh, things when, fa- you know, one of our temple family, we lose a family member, or uh, or it's a memorial, service. it might be seventh year anniversary or 13th year or something. And uh, and uh, it seems like our rituals are supposed to be, we chant and create merit of different kinds and we, transfer to the ancestors and so we're trying to like assist them but i think what doge is intimating and what i think we kind of all know is that sometimes when we do the ceremony it's not about what are we doing to help people of the past that's true we do some things by doing some things now, we can actually change not the future, not only the future, but the past. But also the past can come to assist us. The ancestors can come to help descendants. And uh, but we have to do some ceremony, some ritual, some way of recognizing our people who come before us. And uh, so, and e- even recognizing. Things that uh, may not be perfect, may not be uh, easy, may not be, uh, may even be hurtful or harmful for our mind or our body, how can we take that and transform, transform and heal it uh, is, uh, to me, a big question for us, uh, of course, talking about race in America and so on. But in general, more general, how can we take the imprints that our parents or our other ancestors uh, imprinted on us and their expectations, hopes. How do we take that and you know transmit what's useful and transform what's what's uh, you know not helpful, that's nonsense or problematic. How can we heal that, transform it? And so, to me, it's like uh, you know when we do the Shiguseigan for for Bodhisattva Great Vows. Uh, that's the first line sentient beings are uh, numberless yet we vow to liberate all it means that uh, it's a it's one line that suggests like oh we are the doing the vow or we are doing the liberating but actually for this process to work as dogen is into me sometimes Yes, we assist and we, we, count, we figure out how many hands we have thousand arms of count, like how many eyes and hands and we try to, but other times we're the recipient with we being helped. Ancestors are helping us other beings are helping us all the time, and we have to recognize that too, and so sometimes you have to be the recipient for somebody else to be the bodhisattva and sometimes we take that role and we flip back and forth. Uh, uh, freely. And so, that's the kind of work we may need to do, to in ceremony, in our thinking, in how we how we take all of this karma that we have inherited. Um, you know, I think this formula I, I use for my youth classes. Uh, you know, we have a uh, young people, high schoolers, and we're, like I always say, Buddhism is uh, a wisdom times. Uh, compassion equals freedom very simple like formulaic way of talking about buddhism but uh, uh, i always say in america let's use the word freedom because american people uh if you use awakening enlightenment liberty they may not but if you say freedom nobody be against it so let's say that that that's the goal of our our lineage and our our buddhist faith but that we have two big you know messages one is about seeing things correctly so that's wisdom and then having the heart to feel each other's pain and joy and everything uh compassion and so we have to multiply that together to you know like a two wings of a bird to fly to 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 the sky or to freedom and so sometimes it's about perspectival change that, that something can change sometimes karma we can we can handle it by just reframing or just changing something and other times it's about the feeling we have with each other as a interlinked you know uh sangha or community uh and so maybe with that i will just uh, end my random thoughts thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the san francisco zen center our dharma talks are offered free of charge And this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, please visit sfzc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.